we began our series in Galatians. Galatians uh, chapter 1. And last week we, we spoke about the first five verse, verses of Galatians. We highlighted the fact that Paul is coming to the church in Galatia and saying, listen, um, you're, you're believing another gospel. You're believing a gospel that is affecting your belief and your life. And actually, this gospel is no gospel at all. Because when you have Jesus plus something else, you do not have the gospel. In fact, he makes it pretty clear that when we revise the gospel, we actually reverse away from the gospel. And because we revise the gospel, what happens? It becomes... Um, no gospel at all. Jesus plus something else is not a gospel. And Paul makes this very clear in the first opening verses and of this as he greets them and reminds us, he reminds us that we have all been rescued from sin and Jesus gave himself for our sin. And when we start to believe something that is different, that Jesus Christ did not come to rescue us, or that we can do something in our own power, or we can do something in our own strength. It no longer becomes the gospel that we're preaching because we're doing something, we're adding on to this, but he's saying Christ died for us, for us. In place of us, to save us, to redeem us, to come down and reach into our lives. He came to rescue us. And these, um, these teachers are coming and they're teaching that you need more. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Mosaic laws. You need to follow the rituals that are laid down because you cannot truly be a child of God unless you do these extra things added on to the faith. But the gospel that Paul is teaching, he's saying, listen, listen to me. You cannot rescue yourself from this evil age. It's as I said last week, it's like if you're drowning and in the middle of your drowning, you decide that you can save yourself in the middle of the drowning and maybe teach yourself to swim quickly. Pull out a manual on how to swim. I don't know if you've ever drowned. But I have drowned and survived. <laughs> Once in my life, I was in a place called Lorette de Mar in Spain. I was about 12 years old and I got into the water and my parents were on the beach and a massive wave grabbed hold of me unusually and pulled me out. And suddenly I realised I was underneath the waves and I couldn't escape. And I knew... That's because we've been taught this in geography, that there were three large waves and seven small waves. And so I felt the three large waves grab me and drag me back, grab me and drag me back, grab me and drag me back. I just hoped that these were the three large waves and not part of the seven waves. <laughs> and I could feel myself drowning at that moment. I did not pull out a manual and say, OK, how am I going to cope with this? I didn't Google YouTube on how to save yourself in the middle of drowning. I was going to die. And then I felt something rub on the side of my neck. And it was a rope. It was a rope that went out. 
and I grabbed hold of this rope and I held on to it as I was going backwards and forwards, running out of breath, fighting at that moment. And I managed to grab that rope that went out to some kind of fishing boat and I pulled myself in. I could only be saved and rescued by that rope that was present that pulled me out. And Paul is saying this, you are drowning, you cannot save yourself, we are lost in our sins, we are lost in our darkness, and yet there is only one rope that pulls us out, and that is the rope of the salvation and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the rope that makes the difference. And I got out, oh, I said, Dad, Dad, I nearly drowned. I don't, don't think he really believed me or he drank too much beer. And, and I was like, but I, I, honestly, I was sucked out, I was sucked in, I was trying to tell him the story, I was trying to do this. I knew exactly what I'd been through. And Paul says, you can't, this is the rescue. And verse 6 will begin as we move on. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is astonished. In other versions, it says he's shocked. He is amazed. He is absolutely astonished. Why? Because they are turning their hearts away from the gospel that has so saved them and has ministered them. He is absolutely astonished at that moment. And, and in these next few verses, we realise the danger of what we call apostasy, which is where we turn away and renounce the faith and we no longer believe in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous thing. We know this in society today. We know friends we know, colleagues we know, people that have turned away from the faith and they've completely walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they simply say, I don't believe in this anymore. And Paul's saying, I'm astonished. Why are you doing this? How on earth can this happen? How on earth can this take place? How can people walk away and believe in something that is no gospel at all? And yet we see it all around and we see what happens in society. It reminds me of 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 through to 4. Now of course you all know that story. It's the story of King Solomon. The wonder of King Solomon. But in the story of King Solomon, in chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, he says this. It says that Solomon then took many wives and many foreign wives. And around verse 4 it says, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. You see, this is what happens. That when we start to take on foreign ideas, foreign thoughts, ideas that undermine and add to and confuse the power of the gospel, they come like, as it were, 
to Solomon. Solomon started off gloriously. God was with him. He be- built the greatest regional empire within the history of Israel. They were immense. He was full of wisdom. He was full of knowledge. He had great palaces. God was blessing him. He was the son of David. He built the first temple of the Jewish people. He was celebrated, but then it said that he then, his heart was turned away. I mean, it says there in those verses that he had 700 wives. 700 wives. That's a lot of wives. And they call him the wisest man that has ever lived. I don't think so. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Concubines, those are extra, extra wives. They're like, I don't know even how to explain to you that, but your imagination works. Yes, I said concubines, not porcupines. That's what I said. Although I think that his house would have been a little bit... Can you imagine the Christmas list? Although Christmas hadn't happened. Uh, so, but it says that his heart was turned because of the philosophies of the gods. And they were the Moabite gods, the Amorite god, the Philistine god, even, even these gods. His heart turned against. And the reaction was that, that what he sowed into his family line at that point, affected Israel for 400 years until King Josiah came with the great reformer and revival. And, and what is happening to the church in Galatia is that their hearts are being turned by a false gospel, by foreign ideas, by by thinking that it's not compatible and suddenly they are shipwrecking their faith Suddenly, they are not finishing the race. Suddenly, they are not keeping to the course that the Apostle Paul has set for them. And they're starting to go in the wrong direction because of ideas that are foreign and untrue to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul, as he says in verse 1, I received the revelation as an apostle who met Jesus and Jesus taught him. He was a capital A apostle. And therefore when he wrote, he wrote in the inspiration and under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're drifting. You notice in his tone, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we were, or an an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than that which we accepted, let them be under God's curse. I think he's trying to tell us something. It's like, it's like an anthem, you know? I, I was thinking, like he's, he's, let them be under God's curse. If I haven't got it clear, let me say again, let it be under God's curse. It's an anthem. 
He's angry. And you might say that he's turning into like the Incredible Hulk. But in one hand, he's angry at the believers in Galatia. And the other hand, he's angry at these who are false teachers. But the truth is, he's not angry in this kind of destructive, terrible way. He's angry like a parent who with a child goes, what are you doing? Okay? It's still full of grace. Where are you? What are you doing at this moment? I have had those moments many with my children. Like, no! Why did you do that? And his fathering heart is present and he's saying, why are you doing this? You see, first of all, their hearts turned away, like Solomon's heart turned away. Secondly, we have to guard our heart against deception. Even if an angel appears, and Paul says, even if I preach a different message, don't believe me, believe in the message of the rescue of the power of the gospel. Don't add to it, don't take away from it. We are lost, we need a saviour. You cannot do it in good works. You cannot do it through your own power. It only comes through a gift of grace from the living God. And so he says, okay, guard your heart. You see, Christianity is not only a mental activity of our ability to think intellectually. Christianity is a religion of the heart because we have a revelation that Jesus Christ is the saviour. So we have to be careful. But why would they commit apostasy? Why would they step away? Why would they move away from that? It was Martin Luther that said in his commentary about this, and I, I kind of been making my way a bit through Luther commentary, making my way through a whole range of commentaries. But Martin Luther says, you know, apostasy doesn't happen. It happens on a raft, and one day you're by the shore, and over time you start to gently move away from what you believe. You don't just suddenly one day wake up in the morning and say, I don't believe in God. And all of this is nonsense and walk out the door. It's like a slow puncture of the soul and you know as your tire goes down that something's going on within you and you lose your devotion to Christ. It is... As Calvin said, lots of little things work on us to drag us, lies of the devil that drag us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it's a slow drift, as Luther said, whether, as Calvin said, it is lots of little lies of the devil that throw us away from Christ. We have to hold on to God. And even in 1 Corinthians 10, it says... Beware those that stand, lest you fall. In other words, we have to be aware of our own salvation and hold ourselves because the enemy loves to come and he loves nothing more than Christians that desert the faith and walk away from the faith. Why would they do this? I can't imagine it. Jesus has been so beautiful, so present, so amazing in my life. My relationship with Jesus has been so profound. 
and so incredible. I can't imagine giving this up. When he entered my life for salvation, it was so profound and so life-changing, it was beautiful. But why? Well, I think number one, why people walk away from the faith often, is because of their profound disappointment and because of some kind of twisted soul experience. Why that I mean, some kind of emotional event that really causes you to question about is this all true or is this all real. You see it with students. You see it with people, you know, a a student might come back and, and notice that his mother and father who have always gone to church are no longer going to church. And he notices that they're actually now talking about divorce. They're talking about breaking up. And as they're talking about breaking up, they're acting in a way that is inconsistent to the way that he was sort of raised. And he starts to think to himself, well, is this true? What's going on? There comes a panic. And so seeds are sown. And he goes back to university and suddenly a class in religious religious studies, comparative religions, he he takes more interest in. And before he realises he's maybe attending a a meditation class or or, or, or involved in the association of Buddhists. And he's, he's learning new ideas because he feels so wounded and so hurt that his family are like this and they're not even talking to him about this. And it sets a course of offence, a course of pain, a course of agony and a course of confusion because somehow the enemy exploits this and say, well, it can't. Is it really true? Because this is going on in my life. Or... It could be somebody who's in partnership with or works for a Christian businessman and that person treats them in a way that is unexpected or it goes badly or it goes wrong and it shakes their belief and it starts to undermine that. Or a pastor suddenly crashes and burns and other people around that event, they look at this and say, well, what was all that about then? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? I'm not going to engage, and people walk away. And you know, I know that if I crashed and burned, it would affect other people. It is truth. We've, I've watched it for decades. The effect of leadership, and bad leadership, and toxic churches, and people hurting each other, and people being judgmental with each other. The stories go on and on. And often, people drift away from the faith because they become disillusioned. Now, a number of points we have to realise here. Point number one is that you and I have to own our faith ourselves. We cannot build it on the relationship of others, even build it, as Paul says, even if I preach something, don't drift. If I drift, you stay there. Even if an angel appears to you, my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ should not be dependent upon any organisation, upon any person, upon anybody. It is dependent upon the glorious fellowship that I have in a relationship with the living God. Neither man or devil should be able to take that away. 
But it means I've got to live in forgiveness. It means I've got to live in grace. It means I can't live in offence. It means I need to forgive quickly. I need to bless others. It means I have to let go of things. I need to confess. I need, at times, in that way, to pray for deliverance from the emotions that I feel and the anger and disappointment I feel about others. It means that I need to learn to go deeper in my faith so that it's not dependent, but I have the tools to deal with dashed expectations. The other reason is that so often many Christians in today's society do not have strong biblical and theological strength in their lives. They don't know their way through the arguments and they don't understand the divinity of God. They don't understand the supremacy of God. They don't understand what God has laid down in Scripture. In other words, their doctrine is weak. Therefore, when they are shaken, because of weak doctrine, we're not able to hold on. And that's one reason in Pursuit Night School in October, I'll be teaching 18 articles of the faith, the statement of faith, that the Christian faith, and indeed our own family of churches is based on, and I'll be working through them each week, 18 fundamentals of what make us profoundly Christian. But it's important that you get your doctrine right, or get your foundations right, because the enemy loves to take us out. Spurgeon said this, Spurgeon says, hold on to your faith. Hold on to your faith. That's a good bit of... He says, hold on with both your... Both arms, both hands, hold on to your faith. He said, if you can't hold on to your faith with both hands, then hold on to your faith with your teeth. And don't let go. And he says, if you can't hold on with your teeth, Hold on with your eyelashes. She's pretty hard. Although if you've met my daughters after they've had their eyelashes done, they're pretty big. I walk into the living room after dark uh, as, the, as the eyelashes are coming towards me. Forget your teeth, use your eyelashes, love. You know? But Spurgeon said, hold on to this. Why? Because what we need in this age and what this scripture teaches us is that we need something that is in our faith in this generation. We need something, I love this word, we need tenacity. We need tenacity to believe. We need tenacity with our devotional life. We need tenacity with our biblical life. We need tenacity and we need to look at the warnings in Scripture and take the warnings in Scripture seriously because there is a narrow road and there is a wide road and the narrow path is the hardest path but you and I need that tenacity to hold on with our eyelashes if we have to. Will you, will you run the race? Even if an angel appears to you, like the angel Moriah appeared to the Mormon founder, Joseph Smith, gave him a completely different book, gave him a completely different gospel, a completely different way. And he says, 
even if an angel, but if we, we, himself is talking, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now, I'd like to finish on this. How do we respond to people who walk away from the faith? You all know them. How do you respond to people who no longer believe what you believe? How do we respond to them? You know, often the response of Christians is a very angry response. It's a condemnation response. It's like a really aggressive response. We get the answer and the heart of Paul, and we'll be looking at this as we go through Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Because he talks about God's, that when a brother sins and somebody falls away, we should restore them what? The word is gently. History is full of apostasy. It's full of... You go back, Exodus chapter 32. Have you read Exodus chapter 32 recently? It is a story where Moses is on the mountain having a great glorious time with God. He's got the Ten Commandments being given to him. And down below, the people are moaning and they're groaning. And they're going, oh, where is this Moses? Where? I love it in the NIV. It says, where is this fellow? Where's this fellow disappeared? And maybe I read it in the English, British version. This fellow has gone to the mountain and we don't know where this fellow's gone. And Aaron goes, well, we'll have some patience. No, can we not, can we not take all of our gold and our silver, please? And can we not smelt it down? And can we not make a lovely golden uh, calf and gods and those gods can go before us and we can have a party and we can celebrate and we can, can, can do this? And Aaron, surprisingly, as the priest, allows them to melt down. They make the right tools and they create a calf and they dance around it. They're committing apostasy. Like in Galatians. They're saying that the God of I am, the God of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that God is not enough. I need an idol and I need a golden cow. That's what I need. We need a big party. And the Lord says, you better come down from the mountain now. I love this. Because your people are rebelling. He comes down. And of course, there is judgment, but God wants to like wipe all of them out. Completely. He wants to start again. He says to Moses, I'll turn you into a great nation then. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. Don't remember Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Don't wipe them out. Please, Lord, don't let the nations look at you and go, this God is not a God of mercy. Let's go and redeem go down into the camp. And he goes down. 
I mean, there are 3,000 that are slaughtered, but it's not the whole nation. And do you sense this connection between the apostasy of Exodus 32, of them wanting something present, wanting a lot more, wanting something in gold, wanting Egypt, wanting something wonderful. And apostasy comes when we think that we'll get true satisfaction in idols and other things and sparkly little things, but you won't find that anywhere else. You'll only find it in the glorious relationship with Jesus Christ. And in Galatians 6.1, he says, if somebody falls, be gentle with them. As in, now what does this verse mean? It means, it actually means in the Greek, if somebody falls over and breaks their leg, get around them and help care for their leg. Now I've met some Christians, none at Willow Park Church, because we are lovely. <laughs> but when a Christian falls over and breaks their leg... Some Christians are known to like not get around them and gently help them, but might only go, well, so is your right. <laughs> Ouch. Aren't you supposed to help me? Well, I don't know if I want to help you. You broke your leg, it's your own fault. But clearly, Paul believes in restoration of those that fall away. <coughs> you go, well, I don't. the internet doesn't believe in that. No, there's a lot of angry people out there. Tell me something about the life of Peter. Peter made many mistakes. Mistake number one, in Mark chapter 9, he started to argue with Jesus about his redemptive nature and the power of the cross. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're wrong. Get you behind me, Satan. Did Jesus give up on Peter? No. Later on in Galatians, we'll know about an argument between Peter because Peter gets polluted with the poison of this philosophy and Paul addresses him, Paul talks to him, Paul rebukes him like a father figure, Paul loves him and Peter responds and he knows that he's making the wrong decision in his theological stance because he's trying to please the Jewish authorities rather than pleasing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And next week we'll talk about pleasing men or pleasing God. But do we give up on Peter? No. Peter is still the most glorious figure in the ancient church. So I want to say to you, don't give up on anybody. Keep praying for them. Keep believing. Keep loving. Even when you know they're profoundly wrong. Even when you know they've drifted away. Don't give up. Don't give up on people. Believe for your family. Believe for your relatives. Believe for them. Pray for them, love them, and as, as, as the apostle says, treat them gently and believe for restoration. But you and I, we need, we're all in danger of drifting. We need to keep our hearts pure, we need to forgive quickly, we need to deal with offence, we need to deal with disappointment. We need to keep our relationship with Jesus alive. You and I need to keep our Bibles on fire. 
we need to know good doctrine, and we need to have tenacity and even hold on with our eyelashes. And don't listen to any angels if they're telling you something that's not of the gospel. Amen? And that's the challenge for us in today's society. And that's the challenge for us to move forward. Let's stand together. Let me just, uh, as we stand, let's linger on those words for a moment. From, um, from the scriptures that we've just been studying. There we go. Just pop back. This is the word of the Lord. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Let us search our own hearts and heed the warning. The warning is this. That we should all take care. For those that stand, you stand, but take heed and watch out that you do not fall. And Father, I pray that in our lives and as a church, that we will be true gospel-believing, gospel-focused people. We confess now, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess, Lord, that there is no other way of salvation except through the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, Lord Jesus, that we are helpless in our sin and we cannot save ourselves. But you, Lord, are our only hope. You, Lord, are the one that rescues us. You, Lord, are the one who is our life, our salvation. And I pray for people here today that if they're on the edge, if they're hanging on by their eyelashes, may you re-infuse them with a tenacity to believe again. May we know a fresh revelation of the glory of Jesus and may our relationship not be dependent upon others, upon people, but only upon the dynamic relationship 
we treasure with you, Jesus, I pray. Help us, Lord, to love you more and more, I ask. In Jesus' name.